Welcome to Digital Health Talks. Each week, we meet with the healthcare leaders making a measurable difference in equity, access, and quality. Hear about what tech is worth investing in and what isn't as we focus on the innovations that deliver. Join me, Megan Antonelli, and my friend, Shahid Shah, for our weekly No BS Deep Dives into what's really making an impact in healthcare. Welcome back, everyone. Janae and I just had a powerful conversation with Teresa Brown. If you missed it, you should be able to view it on demand soon. Teresa was a critical care oncology nurse and the author of three seminal books about nursing. She just shared with us that she will be pursuing her career as a professor and an author, but will not return to nursing. She cites post-COVID burnout, compassion fatigue, and mostly what she sees as systemic problems in healthcare that brought her to that difficult choice. And she isn't alone. I think we all know personally many doctors and nurses that won't be returning to the hospital setting. A recent report from the Mayo Clinic says that approximately one in three physicians and nurses surveyed intend to reduce their work hours, and one in five physicians and two in five nurses say that they plan to leave the practice altogether. This is pretty dire given that the nursing shortage existed prior to the pandemic. Our next guest, Karen Furr, is the founder of Resilient Nurse Project and the author of the Resilient Nurse book. She is here to talk about what we as healthcare leaders can do to help nurses recognize, address, and overcome burnout and compassion fatigue. Welcome, Karen. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here with us today. Absolutely. So let's get started and just tell us a little bit about your experience as a nurse and what prompted you to start the Resilient Nurse Project. Sure. I started as a nurse in 2000 six because I had two little babies that needed to be fed. So uh, my mom was a nurse and I wanted to be an English major and, you know, do some great, I don't know, write books or something. But my mom said, you know, that's not going to feed the family. So (laughs) she encouraged me to go to nursing school. And that's where I began in a pediatric ICU, actually, because a friend of my mom's worked at this hospital and said, hey, we have an opening. You want to come? And I thought, well, that was easy. So here we go. And so let me get this straight. You listened to your mom. Yeah. Well, only because she was providing the roof over my head at the time. Yeah, oh, well, that's also good. Just- Basically, what she and my dad said was, we'll support you for two years because we're not going to support you for the rest of your life. So you get two years to go through nursing school and then you're out. So, yeah, that's that's how it went down. But like yes, I did listen. <laughs> you listen. Yeah. So I dove into pediatric nursing and actually fell in love with it. Absolutely loved my patients. I loved the intensive care environment and really started to thrive there and dig in deep. And then in 2014, my youngest daughter, who by then was nine years old, was diagnosed with brain cancer. And that totally rocked my world. I mean, I I didn't see it coming. It was totally unexpected. No warning signs, really. And my first thought when her physician told me, you know, she has a brain tumor, we need to have surgery in the morning, you know, I'm prepping right now for this. Uh, My first thought was, I've spent the last eight years caring for everybody else's kids. I don't have anything left to give to my own. And that just the fact that that was my first thought was devastating to me that it was almost like, I feel so selfish that I've given to everybody else and there's nothing left for her not to mention my other kids and my husband. And so immediately I started 
thinking about, I've got to find ways to build up my own inner strength, my own mental toughness, if there's any way we're going to get through this. And, and so I think it became kind of my coping mechanism to just dive into the research of how do you build resilience? How do you overcome, you know, what seems insurmountable odds? And how do you work through things that are beyond your control? You can't control if they happen or not. How do you survive them? And how do you not just survive, but thrive, you know, in spite of these challenges? And so that's what prompted the Resilient Nurse Project, all the research that I did, my colleagues, my friends were asking, you know, how are you doing this? How are you learning to cope? How are you getting through these hard shifts? And, and so I just started talking to people about what I was learning and they kept asking for more. And so I saw the need for nurses to have a platform that was solely focused on teaching them to care for themselves. Because all of the other skills we get, you know, taught by our employer, by our nursing school, but nobody teaches us how to take care of ourselves and advocate for ourselves the way we do for our patients. Mm -hmm. And so the Resilient Nurse Project was born out of that experience. And we're, you know, building and growing strong and providing more and more ways to support nurses as in what continues to be extremely challenging circumstances, even though we're now, you know, however many years post-pandemic, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and yeah. When did you start the nurse project? We started officially in 2020. Got it. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think yeah. that's good, good timing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I decided in February of 2020, you know what, I'm going to make this a real thing because I was being asked by friends, can you come talk to our unit? My nursing school professor said, hey, can you come back and talk to our, you know, current class? And so I said, you know what, I'm going to make this an official thing and give it a name. And then March 2020, COVID happened and it was like, oh, okay, so like, here we go because this is needed more than ever before. And people are actually paying attention to it more than ever before. So yeah, the timing couldn't have been worse or better, I guess, depending on how you look yeah, at it. And you came right when everyone needed you. I yeah. also think that's a really interesting idea. Like we're not taught that, it, that it's even okay to care for ourselves. Yeah. And sometimes when I, when I talk to people about, about burnout and about initiatives, resilience is kind of like a dirty word. Like it's like, it's like, how about we make it so it's not horrible? How about that? <laughs> right. So I'm curious about like, about what some of those tools are about what people do, you know, yes. just last time, last month, when we met one of the leaders at Jefferson, he was like, it's not going to happen in a module. Like it's not going to happen. People say that all the time. And I love, love practicing yoga. So sometimes I'm like, Hey, wait a minute. Cause I think yoga really helps. I, I'm curious to see what, like, what did you hear? Like, what are, what's, what's your stance on the controversial resilience? So I studied not just nursing, but I studied a lot of research about other high impact, high trauma careers, like military, Navy SEALs, high performing athletes. And what I found was there is not one simple approach. There's not one way to deal with resilience, but what you can do is build a holistic approach of what we have kind of developed a curriculum of six pillars of resilience. So six different areas in which you can strengthen, learn different you know, practices or tools, different things you can implement in your life or in your, whether it's at home or work or a combination, so that regardless of what adversity you face, your subconscious has the right toolkit, the right approach 
depending on the situation. There's no one fix. I mean, that's really what it is. You know, maybe yoga will work today, but tomorrow yoga might not be enough. You know, I mean, perfect example is like up until the point where my daughter was diagnosed with cancer, my idea of self-care was I'm going to go get a pedicure, you know, every other week or so. But when she was diagnosed with cancer and we were in in the hospital every week and, you know, trying to just deal with this totally different level of trauma, those pedicures weren't cutting it anymore. That wasn't enough to keep me you know, <laughs> off the ledge. And so it was like, we had, I had to build in different layers and different approaches so mm-hmm. that it's, it's just like taking care of our physical body. When we develop a holistic approach, then the entire system can work together. Your, your physical, you know, responses, your hormonal responses, your subconscious, your spiritual responses all can work together to help you make better decisions, to help you have a better initial impulsive response, and you know, to help you filter and process your moral response to different, you know, traumatic situations or adversity that you face. So I think the key really is that holistic approach that there is no, you're right, it's not just going to be fixed in a module or a yoga class. It can't just be one thing. It has yeah. to be, it has to be a foundational approach to you know, building this, taking, making it well, making it healthy instead of waiting until we're sick. Right. And then addressing the problem. So tell us a little about like how, you know, and I think it's like, it's a recognized challenge and organizations, hospitals are talking about it more. How are you finding the leaders within the health systems? You know, how are, are they receptive? Are they seeking you out? And when it comes to telling them the reality of it, which is, you know, maybe that just a yoga class and, you know, better lunches isn't going to cut it. Like when it comes to actual systemic change or building that culture of community, you know, where are you finding the most resistance and support within the organizations? So what I find is most leaders are really excited about hearing what the options are, hearing about the research that we've done and the, you know, techniques that or the curriculum that we've developed Where we meet resistance, unfortunately, is when it comes to dollars, when it comes to money, you know, on a system level, you don't want to pay for it. That's like they don't want to pay for it. They don't want to pay for it. And this is why I really try to help uh, leaders understand. And I think a lot of nurse leaders get it. But when you get to the level of people who are more business mindset and um, so my disclaimer, my husband is a business professor. So we have this conversation. (laughs) I say this with all love, but you know, when you get to the, the level of leaders who are making the decisions from a business and financial perspective, it's hard for them to see that value because it's not an immediate return. But what we, what we know is that if we can build resilience, we can increase retention and retention is where we lose, you know, that's where our dollars are, or at least a large portion of them. So that's what we're starting to see leaders understanding is that, you know, if I invest in these resilience programs or tools for my staff, I might not see an immediate return on my investment, but in a year, I'm going to retain, you know, 50% more nurses than I would have if we didn't have this system. Right. In that's fact, thing. Oh. yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say there's people talk about all the time, like how to sell the value. Cause like yeah. people, people are all for like community building until it's like, till the, till someone gets the bill, you know? Yeah. yeah. And we're seeing now, and there is some research that 
hospitals who have implemented resilience training in orientation programs have seen an increase in retention at the two and five year mark um, because they're introducing that idea. Again, this proactive approach that before you get into a situation where you feel burned out and overwhelmed, let's go ahead and get you ready to address those things instead of you know, saying, oh, call us when you're on fire and then we'll, you know, we'll throw you a cup of water. It's, it's that proactive approach that we're going to, we're going to go ahead and give you the tools that you need and teach you how to approach these, these warlike situations, right? These traumatic images or experiences before you actually have them. And that's, I think that's a big part of it is, is for leaders to see that that proactive approach can make it, it's the same as, as teaching you how to run a code before you have your first, first code. You know, it's, yeah. it's, mock, it's mock skills, right? Mock drills that will make right. a difference and resilience well, is no different. That's, I mean, Teresa talked about the same thing and I think her first book was about, you know, not being prepared for that moment, you know, when those, when those things happen. And I mean, I think Janae, you've talked about it a lot too. I mean, in terms of just the willingness to address the mental health needs of healthcare workers and that we've kind of, you know, sort of looked away from that for so long, but that there is an acceptance now and that acceptance comes with giving them the tools. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, research is also continuing to evolve that proves what we have already known for a long time is that nurses who are tired, who are overworked, who are burned out, make more mistakes, cause more patient harm. And again, that turns back, you know, for those who are who necessarily are focused on the dollar side of, you know, the healthcare system, that that makes an impact there too. So if we can give nurses tools to not you know, to be in a better mental space to make good decisions for their patients and for the care that they're giving, that's going to benefit everyone. You know, it's it's better for everybody. If if you're in a better place mentally and physically and emotionally, then you can provide better care for the patients yeah. that, you're, that you're- I really like what Becky Fox said um, last time. She's like, you bring your whole self to work. Mm-hmm. Also thinking about some of those tools, I I- I went to the website, like I looked at it and like, they talk about community, they talk about those things. So I was curious kind of what that means. <laughs> like, you know, what is community building? Like, are we going to sit here and do trust balls or like some of the stuff is good to build the skills, some stuff you can't simulate. Like, so what does that mean? Basically? So with community building specifically, we talk, one of the things we talk about, one of our foundational pillars is interpersonal support. So we talk about how to find the right people to help you through uh, these traumatic experiences or the stressful situations, how to ask their permission, and how to clearly communicate what your needs are from that person. So for instance, again, my husband's a business professor. If I come home and tell him I had a horrible night at work, I had a three-year-old patient who was killed in a car accident, um, he's going to look at me like, he can't even comprehend what that what that feels like or what that, you know, impact. It's going to give you the awkward math look. I know. Right. Or, or say, okay, can I give you a hug? You know, like, I'm sorry. Um, but he certainly doesn't have the tools or training to then help me process that emotion or to process that himself. So even though he might be my first you know, go to an instinct, he might not be the right person to be my community of, you know, when it comes to dealing with burnout. 
he might be the right person for something else, but it might be that I need a therapist or the chaplain at, at work or something like that. So that's one of the things we really talk about is how do you identify the right people and ask their permission to share this load, to share these burdens and these experiences and help you process them in a, in a really valuable way. That's hard. Like, yeah. like when you're going through crisis, not to just to be conscientious about and mindful about where you put it. Like, yeah. And also, you know, you can talk to your colleagues, but they're also in the trenches with you, in the trauma with you. So it, sometimes that's one of the reasons we created um, this kind of program where nurses can call other nurses. It's it's just like a hotline with nurse coaches. Mm-hmm. So who are outside of the situation specifically, but are skilled and knowledgeable about what that situation looks like and can help you process through it, help you understand, help you debrief from that trauma experience in a evidence-based way that's going to make lasting change versus just circling the drain with your buddies about how bad things are, you know, and, and staying in that bad place. Yeah. Right. That can get, that can get dark fast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that that's just, it's so interesting and, and important that the community and finding that right person. And I think we talked about it a little bit earlier, but just what that means and how you can have that support network and, and finding that in terms of the, the organizations and the, and the support. So you said you, you actually have that hotline and, and that is that something that they have to be fully in your service to be doing or to, to take part in, or is it um, open and available? Is it part of the program? I guess that's what I'm asking. Yes. So we have both options right now. What we have uh, primarily is our corporate program. That's where that specific offering started was through a corporate Mm -hmm. program. So the hospital system can partner with us to provide that as a, a free option for their nurses. But we also have some individual coaching programs where nurses can work one-on-one with a a nurse resilience coach or a trauma counselor, depending on what specifically their needs are in order to kind of work through, you know, whatever it is, whether it's an acute situation of, I just had my first patient death or this patient, you know, was a particularly bad experience for me, or if it's a longer, more, you know, like I'm just feeling overwhelmed after doing this for a while and feeling you know, burned out as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, because we talk, you know, sort of that vulnerability and the authenticity and just that, you know, so what you want to give to your patients in that you want to give them empathy, but in order to manage that trauma throughout the day, you've got to, you know, in some, you know, you got to steal yourself up quite a bit. So that's, you know, really an interesting and innovative way to, to approach it by saying, you know, it's not necessarily the person who's even standing next to you dealing with the same trauma because they may have to they may have to steal themselves to to get through the day, but right. to be able to have a hotline to outside to help is really um, really smart. That's great. Um, yeah, and you know one thing we um, we see, and this is what I try to help um, leaders understand as well, is that the the place of employment is the source of that trauma, or at least a large portion of it. Now, most people also have some traumatic experiences or stressors from their, you know, home life or past experiences from their childhood or whatever, but a large portion of what they're dealing with or what's brought it to their attention is from their workplace. And 
you know, employers will try to provide services um, or support from within the system. You know, they'll create a, a module or a lunch and learn. But the reality is we don't go to our trauma source for healing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't go to the place that hurt you and say, okay, now help, now fix me, fix that hurt. You know, even if you're in a marriage and your spouse has harmed you, usually, you know, you need a counselor or some outside, you know, third maybe, party. maybe if it's the bar, <laughs> well, <Yes>. maybe, yeah. <laughs> whatever it is, there's, there's usually some outside. We're not counselors. You don't have to go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> the bottle of wine. But you yeah. get really dark. No. no, I think I don't necessarily endorse alcoholism. To be clear, no, no drinking. So yeah. these are tools other than the drinking other than, that other are than going so to the bar. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's why it's important for employers to partner with people like the Resilient Nurse Project, and there there are others. Obviously, I'm not the only person out there, um, but to with those of us who have made that our expertise, our passion, and let us be the source of healing and let the employer be, you know, great at what they do, which is providing patient care and providing the clinical skills support um, so that nurses feel supported by their employer, but they also feel like they've been given a safe space away from that environment to go and get what they need for themselves. Right. I thought it was interesting talking to people about why they leave or why they stay. Like, do you end up with a lot of those conversations, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Like, I would what say is the majority like of nurses I start when we start a conversation, it's I'm so burned out. I don't know if I can do nursing anymore or I, you know, I don't I, I'm thinking of walking away, which is so unfortunate because we have spent so much of our lives and our dollars, you know, just to get to the point where we can be a nurse. I mean, nursing school is freaking hard, right? And you put so much into it just to turn around and say, I, no, I can't do it anymore. So one of the things we really um, help nurses understand is, so we do a resilience SBAR. That's one of the first things I do when I'm working with nurses is say, what's your current situation? You know, what you're burned out, you know, what's happening on your unit, where are you working, what's, what are the contributing factors, what's the background, why did you become a nurse in the first place, what was it like when you were passionate about this career, what was it like when you loved what you were doing, when you were enjoying this, when you felt fulfilled by caring for others, and then let's assess, like, what are the contributing factors, is it just your workplace, is it the system as a whole, or is it just this unit, is it just this specialty, you know, is it the schedule that's a part, so we really assess all of the contributing factors to the current unhealthy state, and then we look at recommendations, is that recommendation to leave nursing altogether, maybe, for some people it is, but for a lot of people, it's just thinking outside the box of, I don't have to leave nursing, but I can leave the bedside for a while, or I can leave critical care, or I can leave night shift, or I can leave full time and go, you know, work two days a week at the hospital. Uh, some nurses, one thing I've really found that a lot of people never thought about, but have found really um, as a good balance is, I'll work two night shifts instead of three day shifts, make almost the same amount of money, but then I gained a day. I'm mm -hmm. not being exposed to the same level of trauma. Like I've cut it down by a third and stress and whatnot. 
Some people will say, okay, I'm going to cut down to two days a week at the hospital, but then I'm still going to work a third day a week, but I'm going to work at Barnes and Noble because I love books and that fulfills Mm -hmm. me, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it's things like that, like finding the, or in Los Angeles, it's at the med spa. Okay. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I do have friends who are, they have found a way that works. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it's um that's again another pillar that we teach is relentless tenacity and it's the first thought is try try again but what we teach is try try something new so you don't have to give up but maybe you need to try a different approach maybe we need mm-hmm. to try a different angle of looking at it to get you to that same end goal of, of I want to be a nurse I you know I want to continue this career or I want to be fulfilled in what I'm doing okay how can we get you back there let's look at it from a different you know different perspective yeah. And that's, I mean, we've spoken with a, a few folks, you know, I mean, the staffing, you know, whether it's travel nurse programs or flex or programs and, and some of those that are coming in to play, you know, I think that those are, those are offering unique and different opportunities and also changing the, the way that we think about the culture of nursing, you know, yeah. and, you know, I think when you think, when you picture the nurse in the community hospital, you know, with a community that's somewhat constant and, you know, but the reality is that communities change and, and, and things so often too. So to, to, you know, that all of that is changing at the same time. So it is, yeah. you know, that those types of solutions are possible. Um, Absolutely. I think it was, and with the innovation, I'm sorry to cut you off, but, yeah, you know, yeah. with the, the amount of technology and innovation we have in being constantly connected and sharing data, sharing approaches, it's so much easier to build continuity, even if we're using travel nurses, you know, throughout a system or across states, you know, we can share more common approaches to the skills that we use to the, you know, the types of programs that we provide the care plan. So we're able to provide a lot of variety for nurses in a way we never could before, but maintain the continuity for patients, you know, in a way that they wouldn't otherwise get. Right. And technology has, in fact, enabled that, right? Um, Even even the EHRs and all of that, that there's there's some continuity of record. But yeah, I think was it Mark from Providence, Janae? I'm trying to think like he has said something like around like the uh, filling a three hour shift is better than filling no shift at all, you know? Filling three hours with 12 hour shift is better than filling zero. You know, and so it's, and it's getting to that point, but it's forcing health systems to think differently about how they serve the needs of, you know, and give the flexibility back, not, I mean, to nurses, physicians, and everyone, so. Yeah, absolutely, but, and that's where nurse leaders can be, you know, um, really impactful is helping nurse, being supportive when nurses are advocating themselves and saying, no, I can't work a 12-hour shift, but I can work six. Instead of saying, no, I really need you the 12, we're short the whole 12, saying, oh, thank you for that six. You know, like, it's that mindset difference that, like, we're all in this together, but that means we have to take care of each other, you know, that their support is necessary on all sides. Right. How does that work for nurses and for physicians? Like, when you go to a health system, We've, we've worked a lot with physicians, like talking about, they don't really want everybody to know that they're burned out. Is it like more ubiquitous in nursing? Like, is it okay? Like, are people, are people telling you things? (laughs) 
like it's more used to people be. are more open now. Yeah, so. it didn't used to be. It used to be that if you complain about being burnt out, you know, it was like you can't handle this, right? Like it's part of the job. Suck it up. This is the way deal with it. Um, but that culture is changing. And and I think COVID really pushed the gas pedal on that change because nurses, I mean, that was the last straw for a lot of people. It was like, okay, we have put up with a whole, whole lot, but that was, that was as far as we could go. And so I think it exposed kind of those fracture lines in, in the nursing system already. And it really just opened them up in a much bigger way. And it forced nurses to speak up for themselves, I think, because it was such a different level of exposure to stress and overwhelm that people truly not just I don't think I can do this but like truly physically mentally I cannot do it we know that our brains literally shrink physically shrink when they are overstressed over a period of time which diminishes our capacity to think critically to you know pull back the knowledge that we have stored away from school and and whatnot so we are reducing our ability to do our job by constantly staying in that overstressed state. And so I think nurses experience that, you know, at a whole new level and as a whole profession um, when COVID hit, because it was everybody at once experiencing this level extreme. And yeah, so nurses are speaking up more than ever before. They're advocating and there are more options for them to say, I don't have to put up with this. I can go somewhere else. I can do something different, right. which is forcing employers now to address the problem and to say, oh, okay, so we really do need to pay attention to this. You know, we really yeah, do I need agree. to do something about this if we're going to hold on to the, if we're going to be a place where nurses want to stay. Right. So do they self-identify then? Like you, Okay. I'm curious always about that because I don't know. Do nurses self-identify a lot? Um, Most of the time, what I see, yeah, a lot of nurses come to me usually through social media or friend of a friend kind of thing and just say like, here's what I'm struggling with or, you know, I'm so sick of nursing. I don't, you know, and they don't even know where to start. They're just like, I'm over it. Okay, let's Mm -hmm. unpack that, you know, because that could be a whole lot of things. I what I hear from leaders is people are just not necessarily complaining to them, but they're just um, experiencing high turnover or people are leaving in droves or threatening to leave. That's usually when I hear leaders reach out to me. Um, The majority of the time when when a CNO or nurse messages me asking about our programs and I ask them, you know, what prompted you to reach out? What made you want to look for this? It's because we're losing a lot of people and, you know, we want to figure out how to, how to make nurses want to stay here, how to make the system better for nurses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that seems to be when the leaders are speaking. When, when it impacts them. What, yeah. okay. But for our audience, like what, what tips would you give people or is it, I mean, I know it's a process, but like. What are the steps people should take since a lot of them recognize this is an issue? Yeah, I mean, step number one is decide that you're going to be proactive about it. So, you know, 
look at your current situation. Are you feeling burned out? And you can, you know, there are burnout scores you can do. We have a burnout quiz. There's, there's a couple of uh, what's the brief resilience scale, I think is one of the popular ones. You can Google resilience scales and, and find them easily. So kind of figure out where you are if you're not sure. And then, you know, just decide, like, I'm going to take a proactive approach. And so pick out one thing that you can do even once a week, that's focused on you. That's nobody, it's not serving anyone but yourself. And just start simple, you know, with something like, I'm going to take 15 minutes to sit in quiet and not think about solving somebody else's problem, you know, or um, trying to, you know, care for someone else. Like, I'm just going to sit and, and in silence, you know, it may be communicating. One of the things we talk about first is communicating to those in your closest circle, your family, your children, the importance of self-care or the importance of building resilience. And, the, you know, we all know if we have children that they don't listen to anything we say, but they watch everything we do. Right. <laughs> and so, um, if you can demonstrate for them self-care, if you can show them that having a long time is important, that, you know, if you are feeling frustrated and you need to sit down and take a break, that's okay. You know, if you can demonstrate to your spouse that whatever your job is, you know, my husband is a business professor. Like, I know there are stressors at your job. Let's talk about what's stressful to you. So if, you know, I think, Building those proactive um, practices of recognizing I do, I need something, you know, serving me and putting those into a regular routine and then being clear in your communication with those closest to you that this is important and exactly what it needs to look like for you mm-hmm. so that they can be supportive. Yeah, I think that is so important, you know, whether you're a nurse, a physician, or just, you know, a mom, all of those things are, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, we're all, all like taking notes. I'm like, tell me again, because I'm just, I'm just like, <laughs> right. you tell me exactly what I'm supposed to text my family now, because it's fine. But well, actually, I actually did a training like two weeks ago on, um, yeah, how do you, t- how do you talk to your spouse and kids about burnout? Like what, how do you tell them, like, this is what I need. This is what the problem is. You know, how do we figure this out together? Um, Or how do you lead the way? If they don't understand it, how do you set the example and show them this is what's going to happen because this is what's, what's necessary. So yeah, we I could talk for an hour just about how do you talk to your family about burnout? (laughs) Right. Well, yeah. And I think it's so, it's so important around the, um, this though, I mean, obviously you've not just taken on a whole new effort, right? You're, you've created a, a business around this to, to right. help nurses. Um, and we talked a lot about innovation before the pandemic. Now, I think there was so much sort of technology adoption, and certainly there were pockets of innovation that had to happen by necessity, by by the need. And we talked a lot about like, what are we going to keep and what are we going to let go? But, you know, I have, I felt that the conversation around innovation has shifted in that before it was kind of like this, well, we have to do it so that we can move forward so that we can accelerate. And now it's a little bit different, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. We have a couple nurse entrepreneurs with some interesting businesses joining us later today around what that does to the culture, right? So supporting innovation at the front lines, whether it's, you know, 
supporting it and driving it so that they go off and start their own business or even internally fostering that innovation so that you're tackling the challenges that they're facing, you know, at the patient's bedside. So that just some thoughts around that. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, the first thing I say is it's great when employers can recognize, like I think you mentioned before, Janae, that we bring our whole self to work. We're whole people. We're not just nurses. Nurses are also innovators by nature because we have to figure out, you know, these supplies that don't necessarily go together. How do we make them fit? You know, this patient has a unique wound that we have to, you know, doesn't quite match the, you know, the materials we have. How do we work this out? We are innovative just in our day-to-day work. So nurses have, you know, more than just nursing skill. And when we can foster those ideas and allow them space to, you know, to think about positive change, to use their experiences of what they have dealt with patient to patient, you know, room to room to say, okay, this is the problem that we're facing. What might be a good solution? You know, they're the most on the ground, so -hmm. to speak. And so I think nurses can lead the way in in innovation for patient care, really, because they're the most uh, most well versed in what it actually looks like, and what the barriers are. So, absolutely, I think employers, you know, would benefit one hundred percent by supporting the innovation of nurses. One way um, that they can do that is supporting a research program. So uh, one of the facilities that I have worked for has a great nursing research program. So nurses on the units or nurses in different departments can come to the research expert who is a doc, she's a a DNP, doctor nursing practice, you know, focus in research and say, I have this idea for how to make something better for our specific, you know, Mm -hmm. type of patient, for the NICU patients or for the GI patients, the Crohn's patients. Um, And I want to, you know, I want to figure out how to research this or how to test this or how to come up with an idea. So they have those resources there to help the nurse figure out how do I set up a research project? What's the the logistics and the paperwork, and then the actual like going through the process. And it's in service back to the facility because they become part of this innovation process. Um, And then another thing is to have truly like an innovation and ideas committee where nurses can come together and say, here's our crazy ideas. Let's throw them out on the wall and see what makes sense, what might work, what sticks, what, you know, is and isn't possible or what needs to be pushed down the line a year or two and reconsidered. But nurses are more than doers. And so, you know, employers, if you're thinking practically from a business side, you can get much more bang for your buck or much more value for, you know, the nurses that you are employing if you use their whole skill set, which is not Mm -hmm. just patient care, but also, you know, their, their innovative ideas. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm sure some of the nurse leaders that we're going to talk to later will have a lot of, a lot to say about that as well. So and then um, round table at the end of the day, you have to give them all the, you know, it'll be like a session. Definitely. I can't wait. Actually, it's going to be super fun. Um, You know, I mean, just thank you so much. I don't know if you had any kind of closing, you know, words of wisdom that you wanted to share with us, you know, and just also let community members know how to, how to reach you and how to get involved with the uh, resilient nurse project. Absolutely. So uh, my closing remark is always this. It's a quote from my dad. So um, he was a fire chief. He's retired now, but when I 
was um, faced with the situation of being a single mom of two, and I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. He said, you don't get to decide if you go through this, but you can decide how you go through this. And I think that that encompasses like, if I had to put one sentence on everything I do, that's what it is. Because in nursing, in healthcare, we're going to face trauma. We're going to face stress. It's the nature of the beast. But what we as nurses, what we as nurse leaders, what we as employers of nurses can do is decide how we're going to deal with those stressors. And by creating a proactive program that supports nurses before they face burnout, before they are ready to walk away and, and you know, wash their hands of nursing, that is what's going to make the culture shift, I think, I firmly believe that's what's going to make the changes if we say we believe that this is, you're just as important as the patients who are coming in our door. And we're going to give you just as much support and tools and education and resources to take care of yourself as we give to all those patients that we ask you to take care of. Amazing. Yeah. And if people want to find us, oh, thank you. Rnproject.org is our website. That's the easiest. We are on social media too, Facebook and Instagram, but our website is always the most up to date. So (laughs) I always send people there for sure. We do have a variety of ways that people can work with us both individually or as corporate programs. So all of that's on the website. And yeah, I would love if people have questions, they can contact me or email me, Karen at rnproject.org. And, and let's just chat about what specifically, you know, your challenges are or what your thoughts are and how we can, you know, how we can make a change, how we can make a positive impact. Yeah. Perfect. Well, that's what great. we are all about. Yeah. So thank awesome. you so much, Karen. Yeah, and, thank you for uh, having we'll me. We'll talk to you later this afternoon. Thanks. Awesome. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this week's Health Impacts Digital Health Talk. Don't miss another podcast. Subscribe at digitalhealthtalks.com. And to join us at our next face-to-face event, visit healthimpactlive.com.